Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back to this episode of the show, where tonight we're going to be talking about the Mad Monkeys film pick of the week from 1987. It's My Demon Lover, directed by Charles Loventhal. So, of course, since Valentine's Day just passed, doesn't mean that romance wasn't in the air in Talking Terror Studios. Of course not. Got plenty of love to give and plenty of love to share. But before all that, I am joined by the bold and the beautiful, the gold Pete Keith. Love is in the air. Hello, hello, everybody. What is going on tonight? Mm-hmm. Going to be talking about some love and just a whole lot of 80s to punch you in the face with with this one. I can't wait to talk about it later on in the show. But as always, I am joined <laughs> by the kind of monkey, the mad monkey himself, the person with more today. Yes, get funky with it, monkey. Yes, keep it a funky, keep it a fresh. This is the maniacal mad monkey broadcasting to you live from the Drunken Monkey Rehabilitation Clinic, where we, the Talking Terror crew, bring you the best damn horror podcast there is in all of the land. So make sure you listen live, listen often, listen on Spotify, listen on iTunes, listen on Blog Talk. We don't really fucking care, just as long as you listen. What's up, Mike? Hi, monkey. Hi, dude. <laughs> Although I know, I, I, me and I posted the other day, this is not called Prince anymore, but Adult Rockstar Purple. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Best <laughs> <laughs> thing I've ever seen. I asked me five minutes. I was like, I got to put that on my Facebook page. Just <laughs> <laughs> purple Rockstar. Adult Rockstar. Come on. Anyway, um, we are not going to be joined by the Dean tonight as he is traversing the roads of California. It's some nothing new accusation as he deserves. But before we get into the stuff I have for horror news, I want to kick it back to the ghoul and to the monkey for their WandaVision chat corner, where I'm going to dip out for a few minutes and just listen to let go by, you know, a bit strangers to get ready for my demon lover. So you guys take it away. I'll be cool. <laughs> Oh, it's time for the one division recap. <laughs> All right. So we have the last two episodes to cover. Uh yeah, where we finally took it into the eighties. Um and yeah, again, I was just loving all the eighties nods that they were putting out there. Um just family ties, growing pains, all that shit just definitely took you back to growing up in that era. But again, Marvel, though, is not easing up, man. They are just throwing Easter eggs at you, man. They are putting everything out there. They aren't hiding anything, and it's just whether or not you can fucking find it. You know, are you paying attention, and do you see it, and what they are putting in the episodes? But right now, I'm still, still enjoying the ride, Ghoul. What about you, man? Nah, absolutely. Listen, it's, a, it's it's been a good time, a lot of fun, a lot of... 
a lot of mysteries as to what is actually going on. Uh, I know there are a lot of different fan theories out there, everything from Mephisto to to a couple other other little things. Uh, I don't know. You know what? I'll be be honest with you. I'm I'm at a point where I am just enjoying it so much that I'm just gonna just gonna roll with it. I'm gonna ride with it. I know that the next three episodes are all gonna be supposedly an hour each. So we've oh, wow. got plenty. Yeah, we've got a lot of Wandavision coming up over the next three weeks, and uh, and I'm excited about that. And yeah, I mean, I feel like okay, the episode prior. Um, well, see, that's just the problem with doing this every other week. You know what I mean? My memory is like, yeah. Uh, all right, so the eighty yeah, ninety episode. I feel, I feel yeah. like that episode did one of those where it kind of traversed that like. We're in the, the mid to late 80s into the early 90s, the full house days, uh, which I felt like there were definitely homages there. Um, like you said, Growing Pains, all that stuff. The opening theme song was fantastic. Uh, Aging yeah. the Boys Up was great. Um, I definitely think that was something <laughs> that, uh, that we kind of even a little bit, that we were going to see them jump up, and then we were going to see, see whatever they were doing that, with that. But I have to say that this past episode, it's probably been my favorite episode of the entire season. Uh, you know, even with just the little bits and pieces that we've learned as far as Wanda's extent of control, we see why Vision is, even in death, a superhero and yeah. more human than, than a lot of people in general. Um you know, we see that Wanda's power has seriously bumped up ridiculously. And like you said, man, the Easter eggs, everything from the costumes, okay, which yeah. you've know, seen <laughs> version of Pietro uh-huh. in the, the, the <laughs> traditional Quicksilver costume with the lightning bolt to the two kids, uh, you know, with the one dressed as Wiccan. That was fantastic. Um you know, and it's just, uh, it, it has, it's been, been a, a fantastic little ride, but those costumes for, uh, for the two kids, I feel like were Easter eggs all on their own to tell us that they were variations of Wanda's psyche. Um, because I know like specific characters that have been in the Marvel universe have been alternative versions of Wanda. Uh, and Wiccan was one of them. Um, you know, which not to be mistaken with Wicca, who is from the Runaways, who was a totally different character. Yeah, and uh, I also like, um, I don't know if you caught it or not with the Easter egg stuff, the whole thing about the dry erase board. And they had this giant equation on the dry erase board. And then they um, were having these errors point off and there was a full four circled and then there was an X circled. So then there's a theory that this is possibly a way of them tying and bringing in the Fantastic Four universe and the X-Men universe into the MCU. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all been theorizing that that's what this was going to do anyway. I think between this show, which was supposed to lead into the Doctor Strange movie, which is called In the, you know, in the Multiverse of Madness, we know that they're going to find a way to blur these lines and start to combine universes. Um, you know, I, I think 
the big hot rumor right now is that at some point in this show, we're going to see our Reed Richards, you know, whatever the MCU Reed Richards is going to be. Again, that's like one of those where if it happens, I'll probably deposit, you know, whatever energies I can into the world with a big shocked face and, and all of that stuff, just like I did when Pietro was at the door, um, you know, because I love that. And it's, uh, and it's, yeah, and like, you know, one of the little things that I noticed um, that I caught, which was more of a, uh, a comment Easter egg, was during the episode when the one son, I don't know if it's Tommy or the other one, uh, whichever one has the speed, you know, if you, if you watch okay. what Pietro says, he he goes, he's a chip off the old Maximoff block. Now we yeah. know that the MCU Wanda and Pietro got their powers through the stone. So that wouldn't be a chip off the old Maximoff block because they weren't <laughs> born with their powers. So for Pietro to say it, we know that whatever he is, whether he's, a figment of Mephisto, which some people are saying that's who he is. Um, you know, whatever it is that he is, he knows he was born with his powers. He was born with what he had. He is a mutant. Um, so I think those are going to be all uh, interesting, approachable things. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, you, you know, <laughs> enjoying the ride, seeing where it goes, man. Um, and yeah, I'm just really, really looking forward to this. I'm just really hoping, like, at sometime they, like, maybe at the very end of it, just dump Deadpool in and just be like, you know, and like ha- have him bleep him out and just be like, you know, show up in his taco truck and be like, how the fuck did I get here? <laughs> no, that's like hitting too silly. We'll see Deadpool when the movie rolls around. I don't want to see. I know that they, 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 the whole thing that people were trying to get was like, you know, have Deadpool become the new Stan Lee cameo and all that stuff. And I can see where that would be fun and funny if done correctly and all of that. But, you know, man, I like Deadpool in the Deadpool movies. I like Deadpool in what, you know, even though I knew all of those Deadpool movies were taking place in the same X-Men universe as the, the, the other films and all that stuff, it still always felt like its own little detached universe. And I liked it that way. Um, you know, seeing Deadpool try to interact with MCU people, I just don't know if that's going to work. I don't know if Ryan Reynolds can do that. You know, anytime I've ever seen him work in an ensemble in which he's dealing with other strong personalities – he just doesn't work. He's so in your face. Has he has to, to be, be the one center that you can't do that. It's not going to, it's not going to work in the greater Marvel universe. Now, will it work here and there? Yeah, of course it will. But, uh, I know, you know, Deadpool three is supposedly going to be in the works and it's not going to be changed. It's going to be R rated. We're still going to be getting more of the same Merc with a mouth. And I think Disney is smart because mm. don't fuck with the formula that works. Yeah, and I I understand completely what you're saying there, man. With the whole Deadpool thing, is like, yeah, again, don't put in a room full of people. It's like keep him the center of attention. You know, keep all eyes focused on him. So when he does, he shouldn't be the one in the background standing, you know, jumping up and down behind the Hulk so he can be seen. Going, hey, remember me? I'm still here. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and they psyched everybody out with the whole X Force thing. 
you know, and look, you know, that's exactly what that was. It turned out to be a joke. You know, everybody got excited. I know I was excited for Deadpool 2, thinking, oh, fuck, we're going to get Egg Force, or at least the starting of it. And no, 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 that, that, they're all dead. <laughs> no. You know, so spoilers, sorry. <laughs> but you know what? You know what little things that they can do, being that they've streamlined certain storylines and everything so well with the Deadpool series, you've already introduced Cable into that universe. Why not bring in, like, the Mutant Liberation Front? Something like that, you know, where we can have strife, you know, and, and have that kind of deal go on where it can just simply be the team-up of, like, Cable and Deadpool, throw Domino in there, let them do their own little things, operating like mercenaries, and being badasses. Yeah, having them do all the ugly things that no one else wants to do. Exactly, you know, and all I really want in all of these universes, I, and it, it sucks because we've already had Idris Elba in the MCU. I just want a good bishop, man. I want bishop, finally, like the, the real deal from the future, Full-on storyline. Give me hardcore Bishop. You know, like, I just, I love that character when he came in, and I, I never felt like they, they gave him enough of anything in any of the movies. I know he was in Days of Future Past in those future segments for that little bit, and that was awesome to see, but, like, I'd really just love to see something more centered around that character. And shit, yeah, and back from the age of Apocalypse, <laughs> man. If it wasn't him, yeah, and you proper would have never been restored. If if Disney uh, like would go ahead and now, now that they have all the X Men franchises you know uh, under their banner, they can sit there and create new series with these characters and expand the storylines of these characters as well. Just not you know the MCU characters tap into that X Men universe that they haven't touched yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just do it right, man. Listen, we see honestly, we saw with Black Panther that you can take an African-American person and group and cast and make a fantastic movie that everybody's going to love. And it'll be significant and entertaining, and those seats will get filled, and you're going to make your damn money. Let's do it again. Let's get other characters. You know, that, that's, that's one of the big things that we have yet to really hit upon within the Marvel Universe. You know, the Marvel Universe is filled with characters of various various races and creeds. So we've got a lot to go. And that is ultimately what the best part of getting the Fox deal is. Because not only was the X-Men a, an allegory to all of that, the X-Men always front and center had people of all colors, creeds, races, religions, everything. And that's all centered in the story itself. It's rooted in the characters. It's there for the taking. So let's go, Disney. You, you guys have embraced it with everything else. Let's get going with the uh, with the the Disneyfied version of the MCU and and everything else that you guys can do now. Well said, Ghoul. Well said, man. <laughs> All right, so King, so that's that. So let's get the King back. I got to hear this Romero stuff, yeah. man. He was so mad yeah, at us so, last so, week. <laughs> so if you're like God, the Burger King. You know, he's I, like, God, I believe you have cool. got to sit there and talk about getting his ass fucking shaved and back freaking buzzed and all that crap. All he wants to do is talk Romero the whole time. It ruined the whole night for the guy, man. It felt bad. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, man, you have some serious, serious Romero shit to talk about because you had I, not one but two special sessions, right? 
Yeah, there was the one on the 4th, which was Romero's birthday. So they had a very, about almost two-hour webinar, which was featuring around this 45-minute documentary about George's early days in Pittsburgh and making movies uh, before Night of the Living Dead when he worked for the Late Image and making commercials. So it was a nice 45-minute doc that really kind of made you appreciate George for the filmmaker that he was. The fact that he really left Pittsburgh because of the tax credits in Pennsylvania. Now they just were shit, and Canada was where it's at. So that's why he ended up moving there after he made a bruiser in 2000. He just kind of was forced out of Pennsylvania. He realized he couldn't make movies anymore because of these shitty tax credits that he couldn't get. So I think that was the, the big takeaway that I got from that. Yeah. Hold on. I, I thought the whole thing about Romero was he grew up and stayed in Pittsburgh. He he, like he started in New York. He was born in Brooklyn, and that's where he lived. Um, he went to college at Carnegie Mellon uh, back in the, the late 50s, early 60s, because he got tired of New York because all he saw was buildings, and he wanted to see the open air. So he made his way to Pittsburgh back in the late 50s and early 60s. He was in college on art degree, and that's what made him go oh. out to Pittsburgh. And he fell in love with Pittsburgh because you know, it's open air. You can see the stars. You can see the moon. You know, it's not like New York City where there's nothing but skyscrapers. And that's where he right. stayed until about when he got pushed out because of the tax credits. They just were not what he wanted as far as money. So he went to Canada, and then he said, this place rules. Like, I'm going to stay here. The tax credits are great. People are great, and I'm going to make my home here. Oh, okay. Hmm. And free so That's why he did that. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, that was the first night. Um, but the second night, it was the Lost Works of George A. Romero. Um, and what you guys might not know is that George was always writing screenplays, even if they, they had no chance of ever getting made. He still wrote them. And he still wrote them, hoping that maybe he one day make them. Tons and tons of scripts that played out like novels. Um, and I tried to make as many notes as I could because they were going pretty fast with them. Um, but one of them was a TV series called Nuns from Outer Space, which is going to be about a bunch of nuns that are actually aliens, and their spaceships are shaped like rosary beads. And it was going to be a sci-fi comedy. And never got that pitch anywhere. There was uh, in the 80s, 84, 85, before, dawn, before day of the dead, I should say, he wanted to make a movie called Copperhead Conquers the War Hawk which he worked with Marvel on, with editor-in-chief at the time, Jim Shooter. He wanted to make a brand-new character that was going to be called Copperhead, who was a half-man, half-cyborg, and a sheriff of Philadelphia. So they had everything going. Bob Layton, who worked in Iron Man, started to do some drawings. Uh, Butch G started doing some drawings. And they just never really found footing with that project. So it was one that went by the wayside. Uh, what could have been? And for Marrow, it actually worked in the Marvel Universe way back in 
with Romero being welcomed into the Marvel Universe before the Marvel Universe even existed. But it just it never really got the funding that George wanted, and it just, they kind of dropped it. There's actually concept art online that you can find of Copperhead, which actually looks pretty fucking badass, and I kind of wish it had gotten made. Well, what, who knows maybe one day it'll be. What year was this again? 84, it's 85. Okay, so it's post Creep Show though, so that would make sense yeah. then that they that they were courting him at this point because again you kind of had a little bit of a comic thing going with that so with the whole EC comics and everything so very cool yeah that that really would have yeah. been a cool uh, cool little thing for them to have done that is a shame instead George went off and made Day of the Dead instead so he was happy <laughs> he still got to make a movie this wasn't this wasn't Copperhead um, George was obsessed with cryptids as I found out uh, in this the little short that they were talking about. Uh, he wanted in 1976 to make a Bigfoot film that would have starred Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris, who was a Steelers running back at the time. Big epic Bigfoot <laughs> hunt movie with Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris. And again, Terry Bradshaw was not on board. Franco Harris was, and it just it never got made. But it was another one of those scripts that he had. Um, I'm trying to look at the, the, the best ones because he just wrote so much. There was Mickey B., which was Macbeth, but with robots, which I would love to see get made one day, because <laughs> it's so fucking out there. Um, apartment <laughs> building, which is an apartment about a building that grants immortality, but at a cost. But the, the one, that, the centerpiece of these unmade projects, one I wanted to talk about, was one called Jackarunda Joe. And back in 1995, George went down to Florida because he had this obsession with the Florida skunk ape, which is kind of like their version of Bigfoot. It's an elusive creature. He wanted to make this found footage style movie called Jack Around the Joe, which would center around found footage of the creature, but also mixed in with a fake talk show. Um, and he just had this big idea of doing it. He actually shot 20 minutes of a short, hoping that he could work with the Valencia Community College and get this made. That footage exists, but choppy at best. So they did show some of the footage that uh, was available. But with that, in 1996, George intended to go back to Valencia College in Florida to make a found footage movie based on Tales from the Dark Side. He wanted to make mm. Tales from the Dark Side type film, but be found footage. In 1996, with Greg Hale, who would go on in 1999 to work on the Blair Witch Project with Eduardo Sanchez and Daniel Mears. So, technically, George would have been the first to kind of break around the found footage had he gotten the funding had he gotten the support to make a feature-length Tales from the Crypt found footage movie in 1996. I couldn't believe that. Well, he actually could have broken ground with that instead of coming back to Diary of the Dead back in the mid to late 2000s where everybody was like, George, it's over. Nobody cares about found footage anymore. What are you doing? He's like, I still have the idea. You know, he could have been the <laughs> That is cool, man. man. I, uh... Yeah, I don't know. You know me. I've, I've never liked the found footage thing, so I'm, I'm good. <laughs> just never, never been a I fan mean, of it. Kind of, it was just kind of fun to me that the fact that George kind of got there before everybody else. You know, and it wasn't until 1999 when the Blair Witch Project hit that everybody was like, found footage, yeah, like I want more of this. But he couldn't have been first. So in 1975, George is being courted by American International Pictures to make Dawn of the Dead. George had the idea. He didn't really know what he wanted to do quite yet. He kind of just had an idea of, of making possibly a sequel. He wasn't really that interested. 
American International was willing to give him the money if he would make a black exploitation zombie movie. Because American International at the time was achieving huge success with Blackula, um, Blackenstein, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Black. So they wanted him to do a black exploitation zombie film that would star not only Jim Brown, but also in the starring role, O.J. Simpson. Oh. <laughs> but it was going to be an all-black cast. All right. So it's going to be all-black cast, O.J. Simpson, Jim Brown of the weed, fighting zombies. And George said, I'm not interested. I, don't, I mean, not to say that's not a good idea, but I just don't feel like I have it yet. I don't feel like I have the full idea of what I want to do with Dawn yet. So a couple of years later, he wrote an original treatment for Dawn that featured Peter and Francine, known as Francine in the script, that didn't take the mall, like as we see in Dawn of the Dead. Instead, they were hiding in the ducts of the mall where they couldn't be found because outside of the mall, there apparently was a guy with telepathic powers that could control the zombies. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, what? I don't know what George is thinking. I thought he just thought that it was a great idea. I'm glad that he went the way that he did and just kind of make it a simple <laughs> oh, yeah. zombie. But he was just throwing something at the wall to it. So the last bit is that in 1979, that's when he first had the idea for Day of the Death. His original treatment was about military generals across the world training the zombies to fight each other so that they didn't have to waste military efforts on fighting wars. So that was just a very basic premise for Day of the Dead. And he kept tinkering with it because it was too expensive, it was too big budget. So in 1982, he wrote another treatment that was a lot more dark but a lot closer to what we got in 1985's Day of the Dead. But in his 1982 uh, script, there was Captain Rhodes, as we know, played by Joe Pilato. But he served Balthazar, who was this big, fat, rich oligarch, kind of like as we got in Land of the Dead with uh, Dennis Hopper's character, Hoffman, kind yeah. of playing all the cards and getting all the poor people to do his bidding for him. But Rhodes was a lot more dark in this version in 82. Rhodes basically would take anybody that would just give him the wrong eye, treat him badly, call him a name. He would cut off their heads, and he would bury them in the dirt until they became zombies and basically just rot away. Like, that was his punishment for anybody that gave him <laughs> the wrong eye. But also, wow. Rhodes working with these doctors on how to get the zombies to bend to the will of Rhodes, to bend to the will of Balthazar. So what he created, essentially, was a concentration camp for children where he would keep them in this camp and then periodically feed them to the zombies throughout this movie, just what? picking out who we want to feed them to feed the zombies to get their bloodlust satiated so that they could be more controlled. And in the end, Balthazar is the one that gets torn in half by the zombies, not Rhodes. But in the liner notes for George's script, he says, get ready for it, everybody. The intestine tugging sequence you've been waiting for this entire time. So even he knew that. That was his original idea. It's so fucking dark compared to what you get with the and Day of the Dead is dark enough, the '85 film. But his original idea really kind of just took a dark direction that he decided to lighten up a little bit. Um, but that's uh, you know that was his original idea. So I thought that was really interesting that he wanted to take it the way that it did. But he was just always writing. I mean, just there was never an end to what he wanted to do. 
his original script for Martin was called Blood, and it was about a middle-aged man who just gets sick and tired of his day-to-day and starts to develop the taste for blood and starts killing people, you know, unsuspecting to his family and friends while he tries to keep a cool front. So it was just the, the, the lost concepts of, of George Romero, which I thought was just fascinating to me, the fact that he never stopped. I mean, he had a Western he wanted to write called Gun Person, which would be about women gunslingers in the old West while men work at the bordello. I, I don't see that. <laughs> gun person. <laughs> yes, gun person. That's all it's called, gun person. And then he also did a script <laughs> called Shooby Dooby Moon, which is a horror comedy about aliens and how their flying saucers work. So George is just always, <laughs> always just, and these projects, it wasn't even like he thought they were going to get made. He just liked writing them. He just liked getting his idea out. And he's like, you know, maybe this will work. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know, but at least it's there. So Suzanne Romero, his wife, did say that she has a room full of these just like boxes of them that nobody's doing anything with. So she's like, listen, if anybody wants to do something with them, they're here. <laughs> Man, that is cool, though, that he's co- he was constantly creating, constantly writing, you know, c- constantly coming up with new material. It's, you know, it like... You know, it's just like you know, c- comparing it to Prince, you know, and how he just never stopped creating. And it, it's just cool that Romero just was always keeping the juices flowing, whether for better or for worse, you know. But still, you know, he never rested on his laurels and was never co- concentrating too much on past projects that were always making money. I mean, he was just always, always making. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and the 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 exhibit for the Georgia Romero collection. Uh, is at the University of Pittsburgh, but because of COVID, uh, it's closed. So they don't know when they're going to reopen it again, but once they do, you can go to the University of Pittsburgh and see all of these scripts and see all these artifacts and see all these things from the collection of George Romero in person. You can actually look through the scripts. Like, they will give you a pair of gloves. You can actually go and look through these scripts and read them and see what George's intentions were, were you know, with Martin's Day of the Dead, with Dawn of the Dead, and all his original projects. So I'm hoping... And once all this shit clears out, I can actually go to the University of Pittsburgh and see this myself. That would be awesome. That is cool. (laughs) (laughs) But moving away from George and all the the good stuff that I found out over the past two weeks, I'm getting some horror news. So I'm going to kick it off with some projects from Netflix. The first is coming from Tim Burton. And it's going to be a live action adaptation of Wednesday Addams from the Addams Family. This is going to be on Netflix. The series is described as a swooping, supernaturally infused mystery charting Wednesday Adams' years as a student at Nevermore Academy. Those are the only details that have been revealed so far, but it's looking like it's going to be Burton's touch, so you know it's going to be Wednesday Adams going, hey, my family, I'm going to Nevermore Academy. And then there's going to be a bunch of episodes like that. <laughs> that that's cool. I, I'm actually relieved just to hear that it's a Wednesday project just because, you know, the rumors have been floating around that Burton's been – you know, shopping around the Adam's family thing and on the horror forums, you know, everyone was like, yeah, you know, yeah, cast Johnny Depp as Gomez, you know, let's do it. I was like, oh, no, 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 come on. <laughs> Don't do that. So I'm actually quite relieved to hear that it's just a Wednesday project, whether or not it's gonna actually yeah. work, you know, because it's just going to be, you know, Burton doing Burton's whiny emo thing and putting Wednesday probably in you know, everyday USA. 
Well, yeah, it's yeah. also it's an ani- well, it's an animated feature or whatever. It's an animated show, so I don't know. I'm not a, a you know me. As it goes, it's, it's hard enough for me to sit down and watch cartoons, and even with this well, being Wednesday Adams, it's not gonna probably interest me enough to watch it anyway. No, it's supposed to be a live action series. Uh, I heard animated when I uh, when I looked it up. Live action. <laughs> I, know, could, what, uh, I could be wrong. Huh? Okay. <laughs> but what is animated, however, is Mindy Kaling from The Office is going to lend her voice talents to the character of Velma from Scooby-Doo for HBO Max. They are developing an adult animated series that will follow the respectable member of the Mystery Inc. gang, which is being described as a comedic origin story. So they saw Harley Quinn and they said, fuck it, let's do what Velma do. <laughs> now, see, I don't, I don't really need an origin story here. It's like, you know, give us the ongoing story of an adult Velma. You know, don't give us the origin. <laughs> Just, you know, oh, you don't either wish was like a little kid. No, I, I want to see her adult years after, you know, the gang. Her off doing her own shit. What, like porn? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Look, man, after the second live-action Scooby-Doo movie where you saw her wearing that tight-ass dress, I know you were all thinking it, too. (laughs) I always had a thing for Velma, man. Daphne got too much play. They said it can't hardly wait. Daphne got too much play. Velma was where it was going. She was the one that was going to give it up. Work for it. You know, I, uh, to be completely honest with, with, with all of you here, man, I, for the life of me, never sexualized cartoons. Like, I never looked at any of, like, the cartoon characters in any of the shows I watched as a kid and was like, wow, man. I really want to fuck Betty from the Flintstones. You know, like that—that that, like none of that ever like <laughs> entered like my my wheelhouse. I mean, I guess the closest you can say was Hollywood and you know uh, Roger Rabbit's wife, but but that's about it. You know, Jessica, those Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit. But those are characters that oh, were yeah. specifically designed to titillate in that way. You know, <laughs> Patty Cake. <laughs> Yeah, patty or, or what about <laughs> they <play> patty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? No, and no Hollywood. <laughs> I said Hollywood. I, I said oh, Hollywood okay. and and Jessica Rabbit. You know, I mean, I, uh, maybe, maybe I guess I could have said the uh, Josie and the Pussycats were a bit hot, okay. but. I mean, maybe no, no, because it was the Scooby Doo world, and I never thought—I don't know—for some reason, I never thought of any of that stuff like that. So, it's weird. It's a weird thing. I don't know. I got a ten-year-old who has crushes on like all of these anime characters that she watches. You know, and she's like, yeah, "Oh, this say. one's so hot. That one's so hot." And I'm like, "If you say so." <laughs> yeah, I, I I watch too many um, harem style anime where I'm like, "Yep, she's hot." <laughs> yeah. No, it's your Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shows like Please Teacher High School DXD. Uh, <laughs> those kind of shows. Man. There are full 
live-action films that have women that look just like those characters. They're called pornography. I've heard of it. Great time, man. (laughs) I I just can't get into live-action porn. It's like, sorry, my my porn has to be animated. Sorry. Uh, uh, (laughs) I'm weird like that. (laughs) Um, Monkey, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the Cruella trailer that I posted on our group chat, which Emma Stone stars of Cruella DeVille. I did not, but I did hear about uh, what you guys were saying about it, but I have not had a chance to check it out yet. But I know you two did, so why why don't you let me know what you guys thought of the Harley – I mean – Cruella trailer. <laughs> yeah. Not no. like the spoiler. That's it's, like it's a trailer. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's it's the origin story of Cruella It's set in 1970s London during the punk rock movement. But watching the trailer, it's a, to me, I was like, well, they just saw DC's Birds of Prey and the Emancipation of One Fantabulous Harley Quinn, and they're like, we could do that. But we could do it with Cruella. Have Emma Stone play that character. And there she is. She's like, well, I'm crazy and I'm bad. And I was like, well, no. Harley Quinn's the greatest of all time. So bow down to the master. You're not it. Disney, like, <laughs> do something else. But, you know, for the kids, I guess it'll be fun. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe the kids will think it's fun. You know, watch this kid-friendly villain go crazy and, and I don't know, just get the origin story. But, uh, you know, what did you think? Well, I mean, I think we've you know, I, I know you automatically go towards Harley Quinn for it, but we got to remember, prior to Harley Quinn, Disney was putting out Maleficent. You know what I mean? Yep. So the idea of taking the villain, turning it around, either sympathizing or, or promoting her in a way that is just more positive and fun has, you know, has been entertained. And there's an entire society of people that love the villains in Disney movies, you know, that they, they find their stories to be more entertaining than, than the heroes or heroines of the story. Uh, so, yeah, I think it looks, looks fun. I can see where you're saying it borrows from the Harley Quinn with specific things, but it really looks like it's just, I don't know, looks about as silly as, as anything else that like Disney has put out with that kind of stuff. So I'm sure it's going to be fun. Emma Stone is in it. She's always a blast. You know, and I personally, I liked 101 Dalmatians, but I never enjoyed, um, I never enjoyed either of the live action movies. And I'll be honest, I really didn't even enjoy the animated movie all that much uh, because I, I actually read the book for it prior to ever seeing any of that. So when I did finally get around to seeing the, the original animated movie, it was so different from the actual book of 101 Dalmatians. Like I'm wondering where certain characters are. And then it was like, oh, okay, now I kind of get what it's doing. But, you know, I don't know. At the same time, it was always it was one of those that was just a disappointment for me. I never saw 101 Dalmatians, so I don't know. I, I have no opinion. <laughs> That's because you, like, you don't like children's stuff, man. You were, you know, you grew no, up, you were born out of your mother's vagina with a pipe in your mouth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and a, bottle a robe and slippers. <laughs> <laughs> Everything sucks now. Like, dude, you're born. How do you know? I just do, man. Fuck. Sucks Fuck. on the outside. Fuck this. With Golden Girls coming on. 
<laughs> yeah, put me back in until 4.30 when Golden Girls comes on. I know the and the old King was like, I just want a paps, thank you. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Fuck the bottle. He's got the shot. Come on. I just got born. I need something to cool me down. <laughs> um, but, you know, thinking about Harley Quinn and DC Comics, DC Comics is actually bringing back the Tim Burton world of Batman this summer with Batman 89. Uh, they're going to release a couple issues and also going to be into a hardback later on this uh, fall. And it's going to feature the return of Billy D. Williams as, Harley, as Harvey Dent, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, and what was intended to be Robin in Batman Returns, Marlon Wayans. So stay tuned for Batman 89 coming later this summer. Now, do you know if Tim Burton is writing this at all, or is this just based on his universe? Yeah, it's just his universe. Yeah, he has no involvement. You know, it's, it's oh, okay. worked on previous stories, but no, Tim Burton has no involvement other than it's his property that they're dipping back into. It's all going to be original stories. Oh, okay. Six issues. So, I'm looking forward to it because I I love Batman '89. You know, and I, I mean, I don't know how I feel about Marlon Wayne playing Robin. I mean, I knew about that trivia a bit, but we're actually going to get to see it in comic book form. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see. <laughs> he was great in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I like him on the Wayne's Brothers. That's the only thing I like him on. And Scary Movie One and Two. So I mean, I I, wow. I think. Yeah. I I totally forgot he was in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Thanks, <laughs> cool yeah. for reminding me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody ever wants to be reminded of the Dungeons and Dragons movie, but <laughs> it happens. Yeah, it it did. I mean, it's, I mean, they had mazes and monsters with Tom Hanks back in the day. I mean, I think that was even worse. But, oh <laughs> God, yeah, uh, yeah, I own that on DVD. <laughs> I figured you would, you know, but hey, <laughs> I have seen that. That was Titanic Panic movie, mm. so. That's why I called a special place in my heart. Look what Dragon Now, um, Ghoul, I know I did. Uh, Ghoul and King, did you guys get a chance to check out Willy's Wonderland that was released this weekend? Of course did I did. You, did, I mean, you, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Ghoul, did you get a chance to get around to it yet? No, I didn't watch it. Sorry. Oh, man, I uh, you know, listen. You guys talk about it. Go ahead. I'll uh, I'll just shut my ears off for a little bit and just uh, can you text me when you guys are done? <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely talk about it. We'll have to do it short. We'll keep it short. because it's, it's, uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, I don't know about you. It was everything I expected it to be. Um, with the animatronic monsters, I love the satanic element to it as to why they are alive and, and killing people. But I love the fact that for 90 fucking minutes, Nick Cage yes. says not one word throughout the entire movie. <laughs> not a fucking thing! He says nothing. And I actually watched this, and then a friend watched it the following day, and she's like, this is so great. All he does is drink and play pinball. Look at all the beers. I was like, that's not beer, that's soda. <laughs> He's chugging down caffeine-charged soda, and that's what's making him so supercharged to fight up against these these demonic animatronic monsters, which for a low budget, I was pleased. 
by how these things look. It was a little bit PC giant in some moments, but otherwise, the practicals were amazing. When him got practical, especially when he killed the gorilla in the fucking bathroom, where he just should have yeah. stomped it up against you know, like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, again, you know, not trying to get into it. I don't know if we're ever going to cover it because I really don't know if it has enough material to actually get covered yeah. for an episode. But, man, it's a really fun fucking movie. It's just, if you want just a fun popcorn balls to the wall, like, you know, no expectations, you know, drunken Waffle House kind of movie, this is fucking it. <laughs> you know, it's a fun movie. <laughs> And like I, I feel kind of bummed out, out, though, if they're going to be uh, – sorry, but I mean, like, I, I overheard little bits and pieces of it, obviously. Um, it's kind of a bummer if you said Cage isn't <laughs> talking at all. I didn't it's think it was a bummer. It's, yeah, <laughs> it, you would think so because you don't have a – like, I, I, see, I don't want to give any fucking spoilers. It's just – believe me, it fucking works. It just works. <laughs> yeah, he shows you that he yeah, can I, do I, it without. <laughs> he can rage cage without talking. Yeah, it's yeah. He took yeah. He took it to another level. It's like just think of it as Silent Samurai movie trapped in a Chuck E. Cheese. There you go. That's mm-hmm. it. And dancing with a pinball machine and fucking looking great doing it. That's the whole <laughs> segment of him talking <laughs> pinball machine. When the Vogue and around and doing John Travolta fucking finger points in the sky, man. Like, it was just, just a crazy thing. But I will say, Monkey, if you get a chance to see Psycho Gorman, I fucking recommend for me for that one. I mean, you really, I think you will definitely vibe with Psycho Gorman, especially if you like those 80s creature feature practical effects type movies. Yeah, you are going to fucking okay. have a blast with Psycho Gorman. So definitely check that one out. I mean, I, I was, I, I mean, that might have been the favorite of the weekend, aside from Winter oh, really? Wonderland. Oh, really? It was just everything I wanted it to be, and so much more. I felt like a little kid again, watching these these creature features from the '80s, and just so much gore. And it was all practical, except for a couple of minor CGI scenes. But man, when they went practical, they went all in. Very nice. <laughs> but so moving away from that. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong is coming next month to HBO Max and to streaming, but it's a thing I found out this week that they're actually going to be releasing a couple of children's books to coincide with the release of this. Uh, the first Aww. book is going to be coming out, Talking <laughs> Me, which is about a little girl becoming friends with That's Kong spooky. and exploring his <laughs> and it's supposed to be about making friends and how no matter how big or how small, no matter your differences, you could always be friends. So that's cool, like, you know, to have a little kid's book for Kong and me. There's also another one called Kong versus Godzilla, um, and it's about how you have to be friends even though you fight. So it's actually called Godzilla versus Kong. Sometimes friends fight, but they always make up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww. laughs> <laughs> God, you always kids And I just thought man. it was so fucking adorable, little kids. But, have these but man, I'm looking at the artwork on these things, and they are fucking shit. This artwork is fucking horrid. It's just, what you It's they don't care about them. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they care because I remember when my oldest son was a little kid, he was found him some awesome 
Godzilla children's books where they were about Godzilla hanging out, you know, on the island of monsters. And they had some really good paintings and drawings in them, all of, you know, featuring all the creatures that were on Monster Island and Godzilla going around doing his thing on Monster Island. And they were really well drawn and it was just, you know, cute, cute, cute story or whatever. But still, just because it's a kid's book doesn't mean you have to sit there and do it with shitty artwork. Children, just, right. everyone deserves to see good artwork. I give it a pass. It's what I'm like. It's a kid's book. I'm a cute <laughs> I wasn't like, man, you got fucked up. Hey, <laughs> oh, man, awesome be quiet. You ever, I, can't, I, can't, I can't even get you to watch a Disney movie, King. <laughs> How awesome would this world be, right? In a world in which Godzilla vs. Kong was actually just a fucking movie that was coming out about two gigantic monsters that not only were fucking each other up, but killing and maiming and harming a lot of fucking people while they're doing it because they're two gigantic fucking monsters and that there is no need in any way for there to be kids' books targeted towards a fucking preschool age group of fucking demographic. That has got to be the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. I just looked at the book. I swear to God, I feel like my intelligence has just dropped by like fucking four degrees, man. I mean, the shit is just, oh, I got words I want to say that are just so inappropriate right now. I just decided. You know, the people that decided to make that book should go suck my dick. Okay, plain and simple. Okay, with your stupid little rampage picture on the fucking cover of the book of Kong smacking little Godzilla on the nose. Oh, you know, but sometimes they remember friends fight, but they always make up. You know what? Hey, surprise, surprise. Try being honest with your kids. Sometimes your friends, you fucking fight with your friends, and no, you don't ever make up. Sometimes your friends fuck your wife, and you know what? Guess what? You're not going to make fucking niceies with that person after that's done. Okay? There's, there's a lot of bad fucking things that happen in life, little ones. So fucking stop being so sensitive. Put a little lotion on your fucking pussies. Okay? And let's uh, let's all grow up and stop making fucking children's books out of adult content. <laughs> fucking assholes. I couldn't have that Kong vs. Godzilla book. You know, sometimes people fight, but then they make up. I was like, yeah, it's a great message. So they always make up. Sometimes they always make up. That's exactly what it is. So let's just fucking lie to our kids right from the start. Oh, wait, wait, breaking news. They're coming out with the last house on the left children's book. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Sometimes your daughters die, but we always forgive the killers. Sometimes no means yes Sometimes yes means anal Sometimes no doesn't mean no But it means yes when you sometimes want to be yes But it's a no So there you go, figure that one out Fucking preschool age kids Okay Do it Make one about, you know, Jason Voorhees Sometimes kids make fun of you Sometimes you get revenge Beat the living fuck out of them. It's okay. Because <laughs> they fucking tried to drown your ass in a fucking lake. Jason <laughs> and Freddy, BFF. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. What, burnt friends forever? <laughs> At least, see? There you go. That's, that's the perfect kids' book, man. Unfortunately, though, see, that'll never happen. You know why? Victor Miller won't let it happen. Um, but, but I digress. 
<laughs> well, Cunningham's probably fucking trying to trademark it now. Jason and Freddy and Leatherface. Oh, we all a bunch of monsters inside. <laughs> oh, I would I love this. Some we always kill going, people. Oh. But we sometimes kill people, but we always feel bad about it afterwards. <laughs> but we always get sorry. And we always send their victims' families through baskets and cards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of Michael Myers, and not necessarily kids' bookland, but John Carpenter, aside from saying that Halloween Kills is going to be the greatest slasher ever fucking made, people, you got to see it because it's kind of classic. Um, he did say in an interview that more than likely Halloween Kills is going to go to streaming rather than theaters. I don't care. I will see it on streaming. I don't need to go to the theater. Yeah. <laughs> I will sit at home on my TV and rent it for 20 bucks. I prefer and I it that it. way. <laughs> right? I'm, like, I'm happy about it. I'm like, yeah, John, what are you saying? Oh, my God, guys. It's going to go to streaming. No, man. Happy with that. I could drink some beers and I could watch Halloween kills from the top of my own home. Are you kidding me? Make it happen. I go to the theater. <laughs> it's a great idea. You know, but for me, it's, you know, theaters are about those big blockbusters. It's about those. Sometimes you get something yeah. like the lighthouse, which I feel is something mm-hmm. that cinematically is so artistic that it works better in a theatrical setting, but that's also something that you're going to rewatch multiple times at home because it's one of those weird movies that, that you have to kind of do that with um, just to start comprehending it. But yeah, I mean, something like Halloween Kills. Yeah, yeah. obviously, if it came out in theaters, was I, was I going to the theater to watch it? Yes, of course I was. The best part about the theater and seeing a film like that is the audience, and it's the audience reaction. But guess what? Unless all of a sudden the COVID guidelines are going to be gone, you're not going to have a big enough audience to really make it an enjoyable experience. Yeah, you're right, man. That is one big, big thing, man, is I miss watching the audience's reactions while going to see horror movies in the theater. You know, it's just... And I hate to say it, man, but there's nothing better than the black girl in the theater. There's nothing fucking better... (laughs) <laughs> that girl in the Why? She's the one. That she Why? What, what do they do? <laughs> you know, know what they're never fucking do. <laughs> I'm just mad. <laughs> now, I get it completely, man. You know, I've uh, living in this area, you know, especially back in the day when the uh, the Freehold Theater was the one over by the uh, Burlington Coat Factory, the Freehold 6. Um, that, that was a great theater for those kind of experiences. Always a lot of fun. Uh, and it was one of those things where... Uh, yeah. But it was one of those things where the ghoul you had recommended that Edgar Wright, Quentin Tarantino, three-hour, seven-minute podcast, which I did finish. But Tarantino, in that podcast, did say it the best. And he said, there's some movies that you could watch at home, but you haven't seen it if you haven't seen it in the theater. He's like, Joker, Lighthouse, you know, Sallow. He's like, you say you've seen it, but if you haven't seen it in a theater, then you haven't seen it. You need to see it with Sallow? The yeah, Sallow. He said Sallow is one of those movies. Sallow. Who got to see Sallow in the theater? <laughs> oh, Quentin Tarantino does screenings of it. He does it before COVID. He would actually hold screenings uh. of Sallow, Beverly, that he does own now. <laughs> he would put on screenings of it 
just to see the audience reaction. You know, and at, at one, a woman stood up and said, Pasolini was killed and dragged through the streets, and then just stormed off. He's like, that's what you need in an audience. You just need to have the audience reaction to see this shit on screen, literally. You know, and I couldn't agree with him more. Like, there's some movies that you just need to experience with an audience. Just so you can look around at everybody going, you getting this too? Like, fucking cool, man. <laughs> like, you know, it just, it beats the home video experience. That's like Halloween Kills, I would love to see it in the theater, but at the same time, I'd love to kick my feet up at home and just enjoy it. Yeah, it's just because no matter what they're saying, we know what it's going to be. It's like, you know, no matter how, how much icing they try to put on this cake, we know exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to be ever. It's going to scare the living hell out of you. <laughs> this movie is going to okay, scare the shit out of you. Um, but okay, so ah, doing my line it, of coke. <laughs> because it's going to be your turn in a second. Because that's it I have for horror news. Uh, I want to get over to the Mad Monkey with his film pick of the week from 1987. Well, well one, second, one second, one second, and I do have something yeah. that kind of falls into like horror-ish news. Um, Sweet. I believe tomorrow there is a uh, a trailer is dropping for the new Mortal Kombat film. Uh, which is, I think, April, April 16th or April 19th, um, one or the other. So I apologize for not knowing the release date. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we're getting a, uh, a new film. It's going to be released theatrically and on HBO Max simultaneously. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to hopefully see a film full of actual fatalities this time and some badass yeah. fighting and hopefully nothing like Mortal Kombat Annihilation. No, God, please no. I saw that in the theater. I don't remember that movie. <laughs> oh, I not only saw that in the theater, but I actually I made a trip. <laughs> I made a trip out of it to go to New York City to the Chinese movie theater. You know, the big curtain, the whole nine, um, to watch that as like a gigantic date type of deal too. So yeah, that that did not go well. Oh, that movie man. sucked. <laughs> Well, speaking of sucking, <laughs> we've got this week's pick <laughs> brought to you by me. <laughs> for yeah, so for my post Valentine's Day pick, I'm picking a movie starring Scott Valentine from 1987, My Demon Lover. <laughs> which is the love story of Taz, a good-hearted, street-hustling, saxophone-playing musician who happens to be homeless. And Denny, a street, ah, excuse me, a sweethearted New York girl who loves being in love even if she does let everyone walk all over her. Once they meet, it's like magic. Dark, old-world gypsy curse magic. <laughs> Where every time Taz gets horny, he gets really horny, like he fucking grows horns and turns into a demon. That may possibly be ripping apart young women of the streets of New York in the middle of the night. Can Denny and Cass fight this curse and possibly find true love? So here we go as we break down my demon lover on this episode of Talking Terror. All right. I obviously picked this because of Valentine's Day. But I seriously used to own this on VHS back in the day. I've always found this movie to be just silly, stupid, fun 
uh, old school back in the day. You always saw it on the VHS rack, or it was running all the time on cable. It's just a classic forgotten creature feature of the 80s. And for me, our jobs on Talking Terror are here to remember some of these horrible movies and bring them back out of the darkness and remind people about them. But going back this time, while this film is, you know, it's always going to be super silly fun, I think this film could have been really, really fun if they had taken the material more seriously and had gone for a really hard PG-13 and really gotten into the whole mangler angle just more. But, you know, it is what it is. The floor is yours, (laughs) Ghoul. (laughs) What did you think of this awesome movie that I picked? (laughs) Uh, Listen, you know what? This is the first time I've ever seen this film. Uh, Just one of those that I never caught. Like I said, I got cable late in life, so probably when this Mm. had its cable, you know, run times, um, I either missed it. Or, you know, again, I didn't get cable till what, 1990, 1991? Um, okay. So, so, so that being said, I mean, I found this to actually be fairly entertaining. I mean, look, could it have been streamlined? Could they have fixed things? Could they have made better characters? Yes. Is this guy trying to be Howie Mandel? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, know Scott, I know Scott Valentine from... Uh, Family Ties? I think he was Justine Bateman's boyfriend? Uh, Yeah. So so that that is what I know him from. I'm sorry, what'd you say? He was in like 45 episodes and had a spinoff because of that character. Oh, okay. Well, again, like I just, I just, look, again, I didn't, I wasn't a big Family Ties fan. I was more of a uh, Growing Pains person than a Family Ties person. I found Family Ties just to be too, uh, it's not realistic enough for me. See, again, not growing up in the in the suburbs, like those people seem <laughs> fake. You know, so like, not enough yelling. <laughs> yeah, kinda. You know, no, no television show was ever really like you know what real life was like for 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 us, in, like the New York area and whatnot. But you know, it's uh, Family Ties specifically just seemed exceptionally just like too. Yeah, like some like you know, people that like fucking living in like the Midwest somewhere that there was like absolutely no chance I'd ever meet anybody like this in my lifetime. Um, and then <laughs> the king told me, and then, and then I met the king's brother. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I love you. I love seriously. I love that man. And you know what? It's funny how me and him actually find ourselves getting along more with each other the older we're getting. So I just find that to be hysterical. Um, but again, like I said, I found this to be enjoyable. I think if I would have seen this as a kid, I probably would have loved the shit out of this movie. You know, yeah, hot and horny characters. You know, implications of sex. And stuff like that, you know, without actually ever getting any kind of nudity. Um, that probably would have bothered me more as I, you know, hit those ages where I want to see more of that. But aside yep. from that, I, again, I found this to be a, a fun little film. So thank you. Thank you for letting me, get me to see it, man. I own it. I <laughs> cool, it, so. thanks. Oh, I said just rent it, man. <laughs> nah, it's only 10 bucks, man. <laughs> All right, King, what did you think of this classic? <laughs> yeah, but not my first time seeing my demon lover. Um, you know, I, I rented it back in the day 
Um, it was on HBO, like the coolest thing with, with cable that way. It was always on location. Um, but I rented it a few times. Back in sixth grade, I actually made out with a girl to my demon lover. So I was like, yep, yeah, I remember that movie very well. Cause I All right, don't tell you. It's kind of a charming, fun, like little romantic horror film. It's not too heavy on the gore, you know, and it's got, like I said, that song, Let Go, that'll stay in your fucking head for days because they bookend that movie with that song. So you're not going to forget it. And, yeah, that was my introduction to it. I don't even remember it, so you know what? I forgot (laughs) it. It just stays with you, but I just – I was a Family Ties fan, you know, back in the day. I mean, who could forget the episode where Tom Hanks plays Michael P. Keaton's uncle and gets drunk off everything in their house because he's a wild alcoholic. And Mm -hmm. it's the best episode. (laughs) And also just so sad to see him chugging, like, vanilla syrup out of their closet because they don't have booze left. So he's, i got to get drunk off of something. I'm like, wow, that's family ties for you. <laughs> God, <I'm> like, <laughs> 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 My demon lover is just, it's a, a time capsule of the 80s for sure. And it's just a, just a charming little fun movie. Like that you could put on and not take too seriously, you know, and just have a good time with just the time period that it takes place in, which is 1987. And to see cameos from Lynn Shay and Larry Bud Melman at the, the health food restaurant. Like, you know, it's such well, it's a, a Bob little Shea piece produced of movie. You know, he ain't making a film without <laughs> putting his sister in it. <laughs> no. But it's, I love Michelle Little as Denny. Because she's the, the, I got my head in the clouds, and I love everything, and I'm a romantic. Meanwhile, her boyfriend, Chip, is just fucking taking everything out of her house. <laughs> See you later, bitch. And she's like, oh, you, 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 you guy, and I'm done with you. And I love it when you get introduced to Sophia, who we find out is a psychic. She's like, well, how could he even do this to you? Because you did all this for his birthday. She's like, well. Actually, my birthday. I'm like, oh, Denny, <laughs> need to find yourself something good. <laughs> you, know, you know, you know, she's you so- know me. I I was all about Sophia, so and mm. uh, I do I do love how they really give you absolutely nothing on her character, but just keep mm-hmm. introducing like more and more things to her as it goes along. <laughs> like you know, besides like meeting her as the best friend. Then she's like in the police chief's office waiting for him, <laughs> you know, without any mention of her being a psych, you know, without her many mention, like, you know, you don't find out that she's a psych. I didn't even realize she was a psychic until <laughs> after she had taken the knife out of her store, because when she was oh, in man. the store taking it, I'm like, so she's not going to pay for that, huh? I'm like, she's just going to fucking rob that thing, eh? And then uh, and then she was like, yeah, it came from my shop or whatever. I'm like, oh, shit, she's a psychic. Yeah. <laughs> on the movie, that's her store that she runs. You know, that's why Denny's there to kind of lament over Chip and everything like that. And that's where we get, you know, her talking about that's her store. I mean, we don't find out that she's a psychic until later on when her sister gets attacked by the mangler, as we find out in this movie, it's a killer going around New York City and killing people. And that was one of the things I actually really did like about this going back to it, is when you get introduced to Kaz, yeah, he's funny, you know, has a saxophone, and he's like, hey, everybody at birth, leave your money behind, but leave the women. Woo! Like, you know, I'm playing the saxophone. 
it's a great way to do it, but they have that great shot of the woman in the white dress, and she's waiting for the train with the balloon, and as the train goes past, you could see that she's been killed, and she kind of slumps to the ground. I was like, wow, that's pretty fucking dark for this movie. Like, it's the one kind of dark moment that we really get, where it's kind of like a giallo shot. Like, I would suspect, like, Argento to do something like that, where it's just this really cool shot. Mm-hmm. You don't really get to see her mangled face because it's PG-13, but it's a great shot to kind of kick it off that there's something else going on other than a horny demon. Mm. Right, and we have some slight transformation where we see his eyes start to change, his, uh, his teeth start to change, you know, enough to let you know that something is definitely up. You know? And then, like you said, she's just, you know, presumed dead in the next shot with the <clears throat> balloon floating away. Again, awesome way to have done this. Again, great angle. I just wish they had taken this more, just a, you know, just a little bit more seriously, just to give it just a little bit more of a darker tone. I but get yeah. that. And I'm with yeah. you. That was a moment where I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they, they know they can do a little bit dark with this movie. Well, and keep it lighthearted, but it's going to have that. But see, that's the thing. I don't think see. I don't think they have the sensibility to try to pull that off, especially not in this age. You know, not. I'm not saying. I mean, this is the age that this movie is made. Um, you know, this is what eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah. Yep. Um. So Beetlejuice had already happened. You know what I mean? So we've already had the quote-unquote charming slash villainous character. But, you know, even though you know Beetlejuice is a bad guy, you never actually have him really do any particular thing that's bad, bad. You know, most of the time those things go bad, they go wrong, because, you know, he fucks up. He's, you know, just, he's he's messy. He's silly. Um, So I think the problem here is, 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 in order to try to paint this as possibly being dark, you then have to try to paint the character that you want to be your female lead's love interest as being possibly dark. And I think this movie goes completely out of its way to never really make you think that he is the one that's killing people. <laughs> Which is true, because then we we get introduced to... Um, <clears throat> Charles, who's hanging out at the bar, <laughs> trying to pick up Denny and Sonia, you know, at, at the bar with with his little umbrella drinks, just trying to hit on every woman in the fucking place, you know. Again, just trying to be, you know, <laughs> I, I was just taking it as you know New York slime with his briefcase and the suitcase, but not knowing what the hell to do and just tripping all over everything in the bar. Eighties <laughs> nerd. Game, every single girl in that bar. Just going down the line. Hey, you want to get laid? You want to get laid? Do you want to get laid? Like, he just had no chance. Somebody's going to say yes at some point. So I just got to keep it going, man. I just got to keep it going. I had a buddy, Paul, okay, who used to, and the dean, if the dean was here, he'd be able to attest to this. Paul used to literally, like, there was not any chick that he would not step to and just try to present and ask. And his argument for it always was, is, look, it's, you know, in the end, it's a law of averages. You know, if I ask a hundred yeah. girls, eventually one of them is going to say yes. So he just tried to get in the pants of like every possible thing, all shapes, all, it didn't matter. Like He just went for it. Uh, yeah. I had a friend like that too, man. And he was, 
And he said, yeah, for, uh, yeah, I got slapped in the face a lot, but, you know, for every five slaps, I got a yes. So he's like, mm-hmm. that was kind of worth it. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was probably worth it. Like, yeah, you know, I'll, get, I'll get slapped in the face eight times. I'll get no's, you know, maybe six or seven. He goes, but at least one or two of them are going to say yes. So. <laughs> and, yeah, he, and this, this friend didn't bother buying drinks or nothing like that. He would just straight up walk up and be like, hey, you, you want to get out of here and go hook up? That was literally all he would fucking say. <laughs> Paul... Paul brought it down to basically hey do you want to fuck <laughs> and yeah you know he, he he did not try to uh to sugarcoat it it was nothing more than than what it was you know so it was uh, it was definitely fu- it was fun to watch you know just because of how messy it would get at times <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting Golden, you brought the uh the Beetlejuice thing because when Kaz and Denny meet when he's waking up out of the garbage pile and he's trying to get food and he also says a girl and he realizes that it's like a fruit burger and he's like, Hey fruit burger, like you know, come back here. Like, you know, I you know, spit up all my food, but come on, well, talk to me. You're a girl, we could talk. I got experience. <laughs> it's when he starts to hug her and turn into the demon, that's when I was like, Okay, that's like Beetlejuice. Hey, hey, come on here. I got me, you know. Oh, gotta go. Pork chop. I was like, okay, so now we're just kind of doing a little juice. <laughs> like, with Kaz turning into the demon and running away from her because he's transforming. And I was like, I'm, I'm there for it. Because Scott Valentine does have a, a certain charm to him, you know, where he's a demon trying to fight, but at the same time, you know, he's a good looking guy, you know, you would think that she's going to go with him, and she does pretty quickly in this movie. <laughs> you know, where she's disgusted by him, but it turns out she gets back to fix him. That's because she's a sap. <laughs> she tries to get away. She tries to get away at first, but, you know, she ends up falling for it. Uh, you know, the cool girl watched this with me, and uh, she you know, she thought he was very attractive. You know, he's a, he is. He's a good-looking guy. And if you, if you look back, you know, during this time frame, he was in Playgirl. He was getting pushed as, you know, as a, as a sexy dude. Um, it's uh, it's it's not a surprise, you know. Again, I just think you know when you you look at the content, like you said, there's Beetlejuice here, there's Porky's here. It's like they were trying to marry a whole lot of genres all together that were all popular at you know in the early '80s, especially, um, you know, especially with the sex raunch end of things. But by the time you know, just like the New York that we see in this movie. You know, by 87, things are getting a little bit cleaner as far as what we are seeing. You know, even Revenge of the Nerds 2 at this point was now a PG-13 movie as opposed to a rated R film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Giuliani's starting to clean the street, so they're getting a little bit cleaner um, in 87. Um, but it, she leaves, and then at night when she's coming back, she gets by Chip. He's like, did you call the police on me, bitch? Like, that shit wasn't worth nothing. Like, you know, she's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have taken my shit. Bitches go in ditches. <laughs> <laughs> and Taz swoops in the saver, you know, in his demon form, brings her up to the apartment and falls asleep, you know, after helping her. And she's like, well, it's raining. I guess you could stay. But as she strips to go to bed, that's when he's like, oh, fuck, I'm turning into a demon. I got to leave. But he comes back to, to sleep on her couch after he's calmed down a little bit. And he's like, oh, man, did we have sex? And she's like, no. 
And, you know, <laughs> well, that's good because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a good thing if we do. So let's just be friends. Like, let's just keep it platonic and keep it loose. And let's have a fucking montage because it's the 80s, man. <laughs> Put a pop on and just go along and eat hot dogs and I'll play my saxophone and you can pretend to play the cello. And it's like, hey, that was fun. <laughs> like, uh, of course, it has to have stuff. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to have a montage. It's the '80s, man. <laughs> but, but that, but then after the montage is when you find out that that night when he slipped out, there was another murdering spree that had gone around, and some more women had been hurt. Specifically, yeah. <laughs> Sonia's sister. Yes, yeah, Sonia's sister, who you know reveals the details of well, he you know had claws and he attacked me, and it's a great horror sequence. You know, when she kind of freaks out, you know, after kind of seeing what she saw, then Sophia's seeing what she saw because we find out she's a psychic and that it's wearing a red jacket and it's got claws. You know, she's like, well, there's something wrong with this and I'm going to look into this further. And Phil, the police chief, is like, yeah, well, no, I don't need your help. Thank you. (laughs) You know, moving on. But we also get introduced throughout this movie to Fixer, played by Harold Jackson, who I fucking love. So if you ever saw Shaq. Mm -hmm. He was Cole, he was Sanford and Son, and Sanford's friend. And I love that he constantly has a grip. When we first see him, he's selling whiskers. And then the second time we see him, he's healthy with it spelled wrong. With the I instead of an O at the end of the astrology. But he has this big-ass, you know, case. And Kaz doesn't have the $20 to find out how he can solve his demon problem. But Fixer does show him through the little door with the crystal knob of his past. When he was 13 years old and he was making and it her Romanian grandmother comes home and curses him forever to be a demon. A Pizatki. <laughs> he's not possessed. Like, you know, he's not possessed. He's possessed. He's possessed. <laughs> it's All right, now, like made now, up pull, New now, York word, you know? It was like, like hey, what can we come up with here? <laughs> but but then but then Victor was like, all right, well, pull down your pants. Let me see, let me see, let me see. Everyone <laughs> starts gawking. Victor's like, get the fuck away. This isn't a free show. <laughs> and he pulls and pulls pulls down his pants and like right around his belly button, there's a big ass scar. And he said, that's where the devil went in. That's where the demon went into you. <laughs> That's how it and goes. Now we have to try. <laughs> now we have to try and find a way to get that demon out. <laughs> but <laughs> he's in love, and he's like, "Yeah, but you fell in love." Didn't you? He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah." Because Fixer is doing this as a gift. Fixer sees what he has as a gift. He sees this as something really, really awesome, and you know, he's yeah. asking Kaz, "Why would you ever want to get rid of this gift?" And then he looks at Denny, and then he's like, oh, okay, you got a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You in love? (laughs) And, of course, like, Kaz is the type of guy that Denny has been looking for. Like, he's very sweet to her. He obviously cares about her, even though he wants to keep it platonic. But he does make this belated birthday for her at her apartment. Where for some reason he has to change of clothes. I don't know where he found it, but he found a green shirt with a little yellow bow tie he could put on. <laughs> this is probably just her birthday, and it was know, it was during the other montage they didn't show. <laughs> no, because you, you always have to have a fashion. You always have to have the fashion montage. <laughs> <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down. But 
I love how Denny was like, I want to fuck the shit out of you. Just come on. Can't we just fuck already? He's like, no. If we do, I'm going to turn into something bad and probably attack you. So can we please not? And as soon as they get on heavy, he jumped in the shower. I got a cold shower, and then I'll be fine. Like, no, man. Like, it's going to be fun. Listen, we'll make out a little bit, and, you know, we'll see what happens. And maybe something happens. Maybe something doesn't. We'll find out. But as we find out, it does happen. And I love it. Oh, yeah. Making out. <laughs> See the spine popping, you see his ass growing a little bit, and then she pulls his fucking hair off. And he's this disgusting fat demon. And he's like, What? It's Bingo! <laughs> and him just getting on the ground and just fucking like a pig and just going like a dog and ripping up her pillows while Charles is calling on the phone. Like, I got up for work at eight. Uh, maybe I can meet you. Is that a dog? Oh, you're kinky. I found this stuff to be a little bit on the weird side. Now, whereas I get it from the the character's perspective, what I found weird is it's like they had so many, like they never had any, this is what he looks like when he turns into a demon. It was, and it wasn't even like it was like stages. Like I don't look at this version and then say when I see the end result at the, you know, when we hit the finale of the film and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, now it makes sense. It's like, this didn't even like make sense as far as how that went. It was like, it was a whole other character. Um, I don't know if that, the idea for that was just to kind of keep throwing you off or maybe it's like at some point or another that maybe they had like the idea of making a couple of different demon or Pazatskis and maybe this is one of the other designs that they had for it. And that was why. Yeah. Because Carl, who did the effects, wanted it to be different every time. So it wasn't like a werewolf where once you turn into a werewolf, you look like that all the time. He wanted to do different stages of demon makeup for Scott Valentine and Carl Fulton, who worked on Silence of the Lambs and effects and Friday 13th part three. So we're getting to see it in this movie. And that's why he did different stages of it because he didn't want it to look the same every single time. He wanted there to be different looks for cat becomes a demon. Okay. Yeah. Well, but this, this <laughs> but um, having a brain fart on this one, is this when he cl- climbs out of the window now? And just tries to get away, buck naked now with his big ass and his bald head, and decides to come back later. Yeah, he 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 completely leaves. Like he just you know he's out of there because of what happened, um, and leaves uh, Denny behind um, for at least a day or so. Because there's there's no real time stamp on how long he's been gone, but it's enough for Denny to kind of start missing uh, Kaz because she sees the one guy digging through the trash and it looks like him, but when he turns around, it's not. Um, and then meanwhile, you know, we have Sophia going back to Phil and saying, I, I think I know who it is, and we need to look into, I took you know, it to this be a week. You know, at Really? Least, okay. You know, like for her. Yeah, I mean, I know she's desperate and everything, but for it to go from, you know, for her to be like looking for a guy that's digging, digging into the trash, I feel like he had <laughs> to have been missing for like at least a, a, a period of time to where she would have worried about it. So for me, that feels more like, I mean, obviously I get it for a day, but this is also a guy she just met. So I I would have given it probably a week and then, and then maybe you start feeling that way. But again, that's also giving the movie more credit than, than it probably deserves. Yeah. We're also talking about shallow ass Denny. So it was probably tomorrow that she started feeling this way. Could have been fucking four (laughs) hours later. You know what I mean? (laughs) One of those. It could have been, 
<laughs> I do like the fact that it could have been a week because, I mean, it would explain why she's just kind of sitting around, you know, and kind of listless as to why he hasn't come back. Uh, but when he does come back, he sneaks back into her apartment to drop off roses and a little card and say, sorry. But he does, like, the most obvious thing of trying to leave. Like, make as much noise Clack. as he can to kind of sneak into her apartment. <laughs> like, whoops, sorry. Like, oh, you caught me. He wanted to get caught. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Probably did, you know, which is why, you know, immediately reconciliation. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's, it's fine. Like, you know, you got your quirks, I got mine, Kaz. Come on. Like, let's go to the bar. Let's have a couple of drinks. You know, we'll work oh, it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll you. Oh, come on now. We, we've we all had that girlfriend that, you know, you can get away with just about anything with, you know, including and then some as far yeah. as, like, you know. Denny's the kind of chick that you can, like, literally, and we're going to see it later in the movie, you can bang her best friend, and she's still going to be your girlfriend. <laughs> right? <laughs> Even when they get to the bar and they're talking and they're just having this conversation about how she's okay with the fact that he's a demon and they should go back to the apartment and kind of reconcile and, and try it again. When Sophia pops up with Charles again, immediately when Sophia sits down, Kaz is like, oh, shit. I look at them titties. And his eyes start turning red and she's like, what the fuck, man? Like, all right, we're leaving. Kaz, come on. Like, eyes off. I mean, it's Use that energy uh, on it's an excuse. It's an excuse I'm going to have to start trying, you know? Like, oh, I'm sorry, baby, the demon. It's, well, I'll sound like, you know, the problem is I'm going to end up fucking sounding like uh, Natural Born Killers, you know? It's the demon, Mal. It's the demon. <laughs> <laughs> it works for Ken. You know, it works easily for him, but it's also Sophia realizing, oh, shit, he's the mangler. So I have to go back and get this abnormally large dagger. That's a demon slayer. I mean, God damn this fucking thing. Like, Made a swim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worst looking prop oh, ever. <laughs> oh, this is so stupid. I was like, come on. Look at the evil dead Kandarian demon dagger. Like, how cool that thing is compared to the demon slayer dagger in my demon lover. <laughs> Look at the dagger yeah, in I, uh, like, the golden child. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, come on, they, they pulled off some cool magic shit already by this point. <laughs> Please. <laughs> but we have Taz uh, and Denny going back home to fool around again, and he turns once again into a demon, but she's like, I can work with this. I mean, it's not so bad. I mean, you're worse than before, but you know what? I kind of want to get fucked by a demon, so... Let's just do it, man. Let's just go all in. <laughs> but you can do it like poltergeist where everything starts to go out of control in your apartment. And even Cat is scared. He's like, oh, shit. Why is everything going out of control? Holy. <laughs> but, yeah, but she's not stopping, man. She's keeping it going. You know, <laughs> like you said, pictures are, <laughs> pictures are spinning on the wall. You know, drawers in the kitchen are flying all over the place. But Denny obviously wants this demon dick because she's not stopping. But then shit turns bad, and Kaz turns into Denny's mother. <laughs> well, no, before that, he decides to end the demon streak by smashing his head into the brick wall, thinking that'll stop him from the transformation. But it turns him into Dumb and Dumber's Jim Carrey for a brief period of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's a date that wouldn't go home. You know, where's the cheese ball? Oh, my. 
Why is Jim Carrey in this movie all of a sudden? Uh, that's weird. Oh, I'm no, shit. You know who... Well, no, 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 not, not that. That that part was, yeah, again, that was one of those where I didn't didn't understand it. But, no, you know what I just realized? I just realized who, um, what's her name was? Uh, the friend, the psychic lady. She's, Sophia. Yeah, Sophia. She's in Mr. Deeds. She's what's-his-face's mom, the maid that, uh, that, that the guy slept with. Or whatever it was. Oh, man. Oh. Uh, John DeToro's mom. Oh, okay. Oh. Oh. I did not know that. That is a fucking cool thing. But, yeah. Very fucking cool. But, yeah. Because, like the monkey had said, she eventually turns into a woman, you know, and Denny's had enough, so she smashes the head in and gets all that phantasm yellow mustard blood all over her hand. And there's just a gaping hole in this demon's neck now, wearing a dress and Kaz's jacket. And she's like, hey, Kaz, are you in there? He's like, hey, yeah, I'm in here. (laughs) But it's weird, like, the thin tentacles popping out of the neck. I was like, oh, okay. It was a great gore practical effect. I could get thing vibes. I I was loving it. Yeah, I get. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking this thing as well, <clears throat> especially with it, you know, propped up against the wall, so you know everything was done on the other side of that wall, <laughs> where that you had all the pumps and everything <laughs> over there. <laughs> it was just, it was such a cool thing, that movie, especially when Kaz comes back and he's still wearing that dress. Gigantic <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo serious hair, and just laying against that brick wall. What do women want? Of course. <laughs> but he's like, you know, did I do it? <laughs> but he's like, you know, did I do anything? Did I hurt you or anything? <laughs> She's like, no, you were pretty painless. <laughs> Obnoxious, but, but painless. Yeah, and that's why you can't be the mangler, because you were not hurtful towards me. You didn't try to kill me. You didn't try to hurt me. That's why you can't be the killer. You know, but who is? Like, you know, if you're not the mangler, then who is? Well, we're going to find out because Sophia is now on the hunt for Kaz, knowing that he's a demon. What's that dagger going with? You know, Sherub Charles to their apartment. He's like, oh, gee, oh, God, okay, I guess. I'll, just, I'll go to the apartment with you. <laughs> go ahead and kill him if you have to. And Sophia plans to have Denny leave the apartment by saying, I have an emergency. Come over here and help me. And as she's leaving, Charles is outside going, oh, hey, the boogeyman's out there, right? And he has fake teeth for some reason to kind of freak her out with. No, thanks, Charles. I'll catch a cab. No, you won't. (laughs) What do you got a demon sudden? (laughs) What a twist. (laughs) (laughs) And when Sophia goes upstairs, I love how Kaz is standing in the doorway. He turns off the lights. And then he comes back out looking like trash bag Jesus with weird wings <laughs> on his back. Donor <laughs> Jesus. <Again. laughs> totally not making any sense, but it's continuity. And I'm sure at this point, when the monkey sees this scene happen, he's just going to start coming in his fucking drawers because we get a fucking car chase. The city of New York. With a car getting the action, Kaz on the roof, 
the feet on the hood and trying to stab him. The hell are you trying to do? I'm trying to kill you, demon. I was like, man, the monkey must be just fucking organizing at this point. Because he loves his car you know, chases. You know how I am about my car chases. But yeah, on the busy, busy oh, streets of New York, but somehow they end up on a deserted street in two minutes, even though it's still supposed to be downtown. But no, you know, so it's quick. You know, it's a quick, quick car chase. But then we quickly cut to <clears throat> Central Park, where we have to have some action come in because now the cops are getting involved with this as well. Cops are starting to show up. You know, this is becoming a thing. And we're finally going to go after the mangler. And, I love and that's when, when we have a crashes. couple cars flip over and shit. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Well, that's when we have some car crash. We have the car crash with Kaz and Charles and all them crash into the water. And you have Kaz and Sophia fighting where she's trying to stab him with a dagger. Charles gets Denny and drags her to the castle that's across from the water. And he's like, you got to come in here with me. She's like, I'm not going anywhere with you. Well, you have to because I'm the mangler. And she's like, oh, yeah. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, to this to this castle that happens to be in the middle of Central Park. Okay. <laughs> well, the funny thing was, the um, girl goes, she goes, oh, that looks so fake. She goes, how is there be a castle in the middle of Central Park? And I go, what, you didn't know? It's right by the lake. And for all of about five seconds, she actually believed me. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, as bad as it it looked, it is possible. Yeah, the castle, which, you know, which everybody knows about (laughs) in this movie. So, just, yeah, it's just, (laughs) you guys better call somebody. When Charles goes into the castle and reels that he has just a fake, like, demon hand that he throws to the side and brings her in to show her all the exhibits that he has, his laboratory where he's making dynamite. And oh, I can show you how to make a glove. It's real easy. And this is my lab where I make dynamite. And then meanwhile, outside, Sophia stabs him with a dagger, Kaz, and realizes it didn't kill him. She's like, well, then obviously that's the demon that I have to be going after. You need to go after Denny to save her. But you're not a demon, so... Hmm, what can I do to turn you into a demon? You know what, Kaz? Let's fuck. And, like, fuck hard. Because mm-hmm. that's what you want to And I love Denny watching them kiss. He's like, God damn it! I can't even be kidnapped for two seconds and you're making out my boyfriend? God damn it, whore. And you're, and you're supposed to be my best friend. <laughs> eh, she's flicking her bean. She likes it. <laughs> Oh yeah, Sonya's a fucking freak, man. She she she's like, all right. Oh, no, I'm, talking, I'm talking about Danny. Danny's a submissive dude. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the thing. She's a simp, plain and simple, and and that's that. You know, to to use is that, that a, a, a more is, common phrase. Is that a female? These days. Is that a is that a female cuckold? <laughs> yeah, I guess. She's the cuck. Sophia is the one that gets all turned up into the demon sex, and she's like, oh, man, this is great. <laughs> when he gets up and he's in demon form and smoking that cigarette, she's like, go get him. And like, Sophia wants that dick now. She's going to have to fucking fight off the uh, As he flies off to go help her. And I on, his tiny he t- on, a, on his tiny little wing. <laughs> no, he never his body to the castle the way that it did. 
It was never within that far, but it's all. It's good to see it, even it's a movie. It's kind of has magic. some disbelief. <laughs> but when he gets there, I love that when he gets onto the top of the roof where Charles has Denny trying to light the dynamite. And he's like, well, I'm here. And she's like, well, I don't see anybody. I was like, you don't see John Cena? Oh, no, wait, you don't <laughs> see your boy because you're mad at him for making out with your friends. He's like, come on, babe, what do you want me to do? I have to become a demon. I don't want to hear it. Don't be mad. Come on, don't be that way, babe. <laughs> it's just a tip. <laughs> Hello, so get up At least here. I didn't come in a... <laughs> yes, I fucked her. I, I, I fucked her, but, but I make love to you. <laughs> yeah. There we go. And the monkey knows. Monkey yeah. knows the lines, man. See, that, 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 does, that does work at times. <laughs> it's got to be delivered. It's got to be delivered right, but you know, it does work. <laughs> but when he when Charles finally gets dynamite to light. Kaz gets it away from him, and he's going to toss it into the river just to kind of get rid of it. But Demon Strength throws it right in all the police cars, causing a massive explosion. Because <laughs> all the cop cars are going to go, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking Ray and Ghostbusters, too, when the Statue of Liberty stomps on the cop car. Sorry, my fault. Again, I'm cool with it because we we got enough in the budget for at least a, a decent car explosion. So I'm happy. <laughs> it's the 80s. It's all practical. And, yeah, we've got to blow up vehicles. We know how that goes. Um, Hell, yeah. You shoot a vehicle with a gun, it explodes. It's <laughs> yeah. common. Yeah. Common practice. When I was a kid, I didn't question it. At all, I was like, no. "Oh yeah, I mean, they probably they, they. Why do you think in video games I always shoot at the gas tank? You know, because I assume <laughs> that if you sh- if you shoot the gas tank with a gun, it's gonna blow up the fucking car, and then the car will flip to the automatic side from the explosion of the gas tank. That's how it always works. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or like in movies, it changes to a completely different car that's what I was waiting for in this movie. For a completely fucking different car. Like, that's not a police car. That's a, you know, a funeral. <laughs> look away. Look but away. Does, <laughs> it's, just, it's just a Delta 88. <laughs> Ash, get out of there. Not in this movie. <laughs> What's it old to? Damn it, Bruce. <laughs> um, if you get to the rooftop fight with Kaz versus Charles, we find out that there's more to Charles yeah, the than we know about. A demon in the Charles. Yeah, the future. Got them. <laughs> and blows up his face um, this demon. And I love the fact that he doesn't really change size at all. He just gets all the, the practical effect makeup. And at one point, Phil's like, look at the size of that guy. I'm like, no, he's still the same size. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He he didn't bulk up or nothing. It's just you know, I, yeah. So I, I don't know what they was about that. But dick. Still, we can't see his dick. Uh, that's all. Uh, we can't we can't see the big part. Oh, you got way. the direct. Hey, you bought the director's cut, didn't you? <laughs> no, I'm saying I couldn't see it either. <laughs> he didn't grow that way, but. He does get some great practical effects looking as a demon and then zapping 
uh, Kaz with his Ghostbusters powers until he yeah. turns back and says, we know him. And how are you going to get him back? I love Sophia going, oh, I'm not wearing panties. French kisses. <laughs> Trying to get him to get turned on again. Even though she and herself is getting turned on again. And Phil's looking at her, what the fuck are you doing? Are you, what are you kidding me right now? Well, because she, she banged Phil at some point. You know, he was trying oh, yeah, to, like, did. you know, there was, a, there was a line earlier in the film in which, you know, he was trying to, like, get a relationship going with her, and she was just pretty much blowing it off as just being sex only. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he kept like, trying to, like, take her out to dinner, and, she, you know, she was like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not actually going on an actual date. My kind of girl, man. Like, <laughs> well, she's a short That's thing. Guy. Good to go. The, the, she told Janice, that's the guy that you get when you can't get Kurt with Smith. You get this guy. Because I was like, that's like a fucking doppelganger with Smith. I was like, oh, he's unavailable. We'll just get so fucked. And we'll have him play. <laughs> Look on the entire time and go, what are you going to do? Are you going to blow him up? You're going to stab him? You're going to down this guy? Like, you can't do that. And like, no, you have to take the dagger and deliver that final blow in order to kill him. How else are you going to fucking kill this guy? But the fact that. Even as Kaz is fighting for his life, he looks at his feet and he goes, what are those Italian? He's still getting the... <laughs> <laughs> the cheesy one-liners in. <laughs> and he finally manages to deliver the blasting blow to the middle of the chest of Charles, as demon, that dagger. Which I'm like, okay, well, it doesn't seem like it's hurting very much because he's like, oh, shit, I got... that did? <laughs> That's all we're going to get? Oh, okay, so we're going to... At least it's going to be a finality because he's just like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, no. He should be like, oh, no. Like, you know, but no. I was like, that just might just be the actor. <laughs> Doesn't know how to react. To getting <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, same way because it's like, no, you know, <laughs> so I felt like idle hands. It's like, what? No. Ah, ah, in an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> or we see, like, Paul Rubens in Buffy the Vampire's like, ooh, yeah. Everything's good. We're just going to leave the castle. For some reason, Kaz has a bow tie on and a 
really nice tuxedo shirt underneath <laughs> this red jacket. Because I guess Cause that's what you get when you <laughs> but it's the demon power from it. So I guess that's what it is. Because well, well, if if I expelled it, it's because the next person closest to me is going to get it. So you're the demon now. Let's make out and find out. You're not the demon. <laughs> hey, you're not. Let's go. Fuck. I love that he starts like groping her boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and then mid makeup, she's like, "Well, wait a second. If I'm not the demon, then who is? Oh, let's fix her. Hey, baby. <laughs> I turn red, orange. He chases after the female cop. I was like, couldn't happen to a better guy. That guy's going to get yep. a lot of sex. <laughs> horny little fucker. <laughs> I figured it was going to go to Sophia, being that he banged Sophia. So I didn't expect it to go to fix her. Right. But, uh, maybe it was physical no, proximity. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is because when it happens, Fixer was right next to him going, hey, man, you did a good deed. And he was physically yeah. the closest to him. But they were taking mm-hmm. it metaphorically when Fixer was saying, you know, first explaining it to him, yeah, but it's going to jump to whoever's closest to you. So that's why they yeah, were Denny going, you know, we can't pass it on to her. Well, yeah, I think that's the idea. Again, it's just the movie's just trying to throw you off, but you know they're not. Yeah, it, it would have been a smart, fun way to end it to have the flip, and now all of a sudden the female is going to be the sex crazed and and you know strong character, but you know they they're not going to do that in 1987. No, nope. world wasn't no. quite ready for it yet. <laughs> no. No, they get Victor and they have the the evening with uh, Denny and Kaz back at her apartment, lowering that window shade so you know that they're going to get busy. But they do the possibly greatest way to end an 80s movie by just scenes from the movie and then still shots with the actor's name below it. <laughs> um, wait for someone to pull their arms and give a nod to the camera. Like That's where we are. And Scott Valentine <laughs> went. I was like, yep, this is where we are. What a great way to end My Demon Lover than with just, hey, remember the movie you just watched? Here's a clip show. (laughs) That's what they Mm -hmm. did, man. (laughs) But hey, it's really just the perfect way to do it. You know, fun. Like, what better way to end this than that? You know, where. I just you had a fun time. Thought it was fun time with I thought it was funny though that they they made sure to put in the guy that ended up eating the the soup or the gray shit or whatever it was at the health food place that died. Well, well, no. and they ate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I mean, just, it was, <laughs> such a random from, thing, you know. I know him from David Wayne. That's the only reason I knew Glass Hellman. So when I saw his name pop up and covered the part, what? His name is Larry Bud Melman. I've been lied to my entire life. Like, this is fucked up. Like, he's supposed to be Larry Bud Melman. Who the fuck is Calvin the Forest? In the stage name? I was kind of mind blown because I just always thought throughout my entire life that that old guy with the rim glasses was Larry Bud Melman. Oh. I've never watched enough of the talk show circuit, so. Well, still didn't know who he was. You telling me then, like you know, I I know of the name, and that's about it. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he did a lot of missiles back in the day, too. Like, he just had an iconic look. He was just a chubby old man with black rim glasses, and he was just always a always around with him. That was like a staple of the early 90s. I've seen Bud Melman in commercials and on clips on Letterman, so that's where I knew him from. And obviously, like we said, Lynn Shea. It's a new line cinema movie, so you're going to see Lynn Shea pop up at some point before she's Lynn Shea, the actress we know now, where Robert Shea was like, my sister could be in this movie, too, and okay, we'll find something. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make this movie as long as you let me put my sister in it. (laughs) That's what happened with the film street. I guarantee you that's how she got that cameo as a teacher, where Robert Shea is like, Wes, Wes, my sister, mwah. Great actress. You got to put her in this movie. He's like, I don't know. I mean, everybody's been cast. I don't really have any room for her. Listen, teacher sequence. Perfect. Put her in it. She's going to fucking nail that part. Fine. <laughs> Two seconds. <laughs> oh my God, Nancy, you okay? Should I call your mom? And see. Lynn, you did great. This is your brother talking. Oh man, I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Again, though, that's the thing, you know? Uh, uh, as little as her role was in that movie, there was still something creepy looking about her, which like, yeah, you yeah. know, even to this day, it still sticks in my head. Like, even if I didn't know her as Lynn Shay from anything else, I still remember mm-hmm. that actress from that film, just like I remember the, the hallway monitor girl, you know, like those specific, like those, those extra little characters in that film were all like just odd looking, you know, and I guess maybe in a yeah. way too, like it just always was making me think like which one of them could be Freddie, you know, because any one of them could fucking be Freddie. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's what made that movie iconic in a lot of ways, but also that the cinematographer, the director of photography on this movie was Jacques Haken who horror fans might know from A Nightmare on Elm Street, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Shocker, uh, To Die For in 89, Buried Alive in 90. I mean, he's probably one of my favorite directors of photography. He also did Galaxy of Terror. Monkey, you know that one from 81. Yes, I do. (laughs) In my top three, you know, director of photography, he's up there. I always have a good time watching one of his movies. Dean Cundy's the other and and Will Barrett's the other. But, yeah, when I saw Jack Higgins pop up, I was like, I forgot he did this movie. I was like, but it's going to be shot really well. And it was. He just he was the, the guy that was always known for wearing the eye patch over one eye when he filmed scenes because he wanted complete immersion when he was looking through the camera to get his shots. But the director <laughs> wanted that he wanted to, to see him do that for this movie, as silly as it was. I was like, at least you have somebody that knows what they're doing to, to get the shots that are needed. So. I was impressed by that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. You guys know that. I'm always looking at, at credits when it comes to, to these older movies in the 80s, 70s. But uh, Jacques Aikens had a great career with West and also with New Line Cinema. He also did a lot of second-unit shots for Captain America uh, Civil War, uh, which I didn't know oh, about nice. until this week, that he did a lot of the pickup shots and second-unit stuff. So he worked on a couple of Marvel movies, but Civil War was his big grand one. Um, but very cool to know. But so that was Monkey and Lover. Thank you so much for the pick, Monkey, uh, which I had fun with. I know the, the, the as silly as it is, it's still a fun time. It's a good date night movie. Yeah, especially in your sixth sixth grade until her mom walks in and then puts a fucking spell on you, King. Her mom didn't walk in and 
We had made it out on top of a dryer. It was fucking awesome. I'll never forget that. <laughs> While Beauty and Lover played in the background. She had no interest in the movie, but she had a lot of interest in making out. So thank you, Sylvia. Great time. Told her. Probably married with like 13 kids. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Got to look up those sixth grade girlfriends. I actually looked one up not that long ago from sixth grade. Uh, well, I dated uh, named Sharice, who I found her on Facebook, and she's married with like four kids. I'm like, oh, nope. That uh, reunion's out of concert. Thank you. Thanks for your interest. <laughs> she sent me a friend request. Shot that right down. So it's all the family photos. Oh, man, this is No, thank you. <laughs> all right. So, Ghoul, it is your pick next week. Is that correct? Yes, that would be the truth, man. So, I what are we doing? going to. We are going to take a trip to older times, but in a newer film. Uh, I'm going to keep it with the romance that we've got going on for February. So this might be be slightly different. We are going with 2020's Carmilla. It is available on Shudder. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so so that's one, yeah, that's a very uh, new release. But an old, old story, Carmilla. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. I'm surprised you picked that one. I'm interested. You know, because I've been looking forward to checking that one out. It's just kind of uh, put on the back burner for me for a while. I do have a copy of it. So, Carmilla, we're going to get into it next week. So thank you for that. Cool. All right, Monkey. Thank you for joining us on the All show right. for your pick, and we'll be back here next week. Yeah. Oh, thanks for listening to tonight's episode of Talking Terror, and let me come in your ear. Good night, everybody. <laughs> All right. So, cool. You have the floor to do us our plug and then close us out. Again, as per every single week, get over to Etsy. Go to the search bar. All in one word. Put in Bonfire Bead Designs. The Ghoul Girl has, once again, begun creating all kinds of Crazy, chaotic jewelry of uh, of all kinds of different things, man. There's necklaces, bracelets, uh, pendants, charms, you name it, it gets on there. Uh, she is crafting. She's going to be refreshing things on the store soon enough. Um, but, yes, the, uh, the mess around the house is going to start getting out of control. So I need you people to get on there, please, and buy, 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 buy. Hurry up and buy. I feel bad for your mother. I feel bad for your mother. (laughs) Please, again, like I said, go to Etsy, all one word, Bonfire Bee Designs. Get on there. Buy that shit. Stay scared. And as always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, NGG, saying, keep America strong. Watch horror movies. Hail Satan. Hail Odorous. Hail yourselves. We'll see you back here next week for Carmilla.